Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiya, Bab. Hello there. How are you? I'm very well, but you sound rough. I am rough as a badger's backside. Okay, but priorities first. Oh, all right. Exactly. Hello, listeners. Welcome to Bearback, the podcast where Ben and I discuss our relationship as a power bear couple. A power bear couple yeah. this week. Oh, we've gone up in the world. And we discuss the quirks of our respective cultures. I'm Ben, and I'm British. And I'm Benja, and I'm Argentinian. And this week we're focusing on... University education. Yes. What is post-education like in the UK? And how does one get a degree in Argentina? Well, we'll find out when we go back to class very soon. Yeah, and a little bit like going back to my times as a student. Let's explain why you sound rough, because that happened a lot when I was in uni. (sighs) Well, we went out at the weekend and we got back at 5am. That's. I think that's all the listeners need to know. They can. I mean, is that it? We had a very lovely, sophisticated start to the evening. We had a couple of our friends who came over, and Ben did a five-course tasting menu, but it was all sausage rolls. And you did sausage rolls from around the world, or what sausage rolls might be in other countries. So you did an Italian starter, which was like cheese and tomato it and was, pesto. It was mozzarella, tomato and basil. Okay, well, yeah. It was still Italian. Then there was um, a Japanese sausage roll, which was salmon, so no sausage. Yeah, no sausage, but it, there were, it was salmon, chilli, soy sauce, spring onion and chives. And then we had the English course. The English course was chicken and bacon and mascarpone cheese. And smoked with the essence of tea as well. Smoked with the essence of tea, of course, obviously. And then it was an Argentinian sausage. So that was like my... I called it the Argentinian Cosmopolitan because it's my Argentinian inspired. It was pork with uh, Argentinian spices. uh, And it has a heart of ricotta. Well, that heart was beautiful. I mean, it was all beautiful. And then we had the American after party, which was a burger-inspired sausage roll. Exactly. It was a bacon cheeseburger in a sausage roll. And you did drinks pairings with it. We had a lovely menu and we set the table nice. It was brilliant. And then, you know, obviously we'd had all these drinks pairings and other drinks. And then it got to about midnight, I think it was. And I just had this crazy idea that, you know, (laughs) we go out and we ended up getting pretty much the only Uber in our town because yeah we don't normally have Ubers. Yeah. it must have been just a, a misunderstanding even it was like it was meant to be and we got the uber and we went out in coventry and again we were looked after by the amazing people down at glamorous jelly cube was on form the drag queen and we'd literally just danced all night didn't we indeed we danced until we decided to take an uber back because we were absolutely hammered yeah And, um, yeah, we've suffered for several days since. I I think this is, this is the first sign for me that I'm actually getting old. Welcome to middle age, Bab. We're getting over a hangover. It's a three-day process. I know, I know. But I I thought by this morning, I thought I'm going to wake up and I'm going to feel really fresh and ready for the week. But no. 
But actually, we've kind of had an entertaining week, haven't we? Yeah, well, in massive first world problems, our cleaner has handed in her notice this week. I know, I'm really sad. Yeah, so for the foreseeable, it looks like we're going to actually have to clean our own home, which fills me with dread, because as we talked about on the podcast before, we hate cleaning. We do hate cleaning. And and the thing is, having a cleaner is life-changing. People out there, if you don't have a cleaner, it's worth not having uh, as many pints as we did the weekend, or... It's worth not going out for a meal. It's worth it. But you, you pay back for the time, don't you? You gain that time. I mean, the weekend is yours. You know, We used to spend pretty much most of Saturday morning cleaning the house because we would do a little bit and we'd stop and we'd go on our phone and then we'd watch some telly because we hated doing it. Yeah, and we argue because we don't like doing it and we're sort of moody because we don't want to do it. Anyway, our cleaner has handed in her notice. Sad, sad times. But we got a leaving present. During one of her trips, she had bought us present. It was intended for Christmas. But because she's not going to be here for Christmas, she decided to give us that present as her leaving present. But the interesting bit is what the present actually was. I mean, let's be honest. It was a dildo. Well, I wouldn't... uh, Technically, it's a bottle opener. Yeah, it's a bottle opener attached to a wooden dildo. Yeah, but it's not like a proper dildo to be used. Well, I hope not. I mean, it's made of wood. Imagine the splinters you'd get from that. Mm, That sounds painful. Yeah. I mean, can you get tetanus from wood? Um, I don't think so. I feel if I used it, which I'm not going to FYI, I would need some kind of inoculation afterwards. Probably, yes, but probably that's the inoculation. Have you seen the size of it? It's huge. I mean, it's eye-wateringly huge. And then on the back, it's inscribed with Athens. So she obviously bought it in Greece. Yeah. I don't know if that's the traditional present you buy for people when you come back from From Greece. Greece. I I mean, I know the ancient Greeks were very liberal, as we found out on the History of Gay Sex episode. They're quite liberal when it comes to sex. Oh, they were, historically. But um, yeah, if, if you know whether that's a traditional thing to buy somebody when you go to Greece, a wooden dildo with a bottle opener at the end of it. Let us know. (laughs) But yeah, I just couldn't believe it. But the best thing about it was that there was a post-it note stuck onto the wooden dildo that said, not used. Ha 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 ha. But to be honest, if you're giving someone a dildo that is not like wrapped in a box or something like like that, you kind of want that clarification, don't you? Well, I should hope it's not used. Well, yeah, again, just because... It's wooden, but you don't know. So the clarification is actually welcome. You say a clarification, but which side wasn't used? I mean, did she open a bottle with it before she gave it to us? Or did she, you know, slip it up a fandango? Well, I would say that none. That's why it's not used. Both ends were ready to go for us, basically. Wow, they were virgin for us. But there's a little twist in the story of all of this as well. Because I said to to Ben-Hur, I said... I'm going to have to take a picture of this for the podcast to go on the on the mm-hmm. socials. And so I put it on the ottoman in the lounge to take a photo of it. Yeah. And then my brother phoned me yeah. while I was kind of setting up this mini dildo photo shoot. And so I walked off into the kitchen. And then when I walked back in on the phone, our neighbour... Noting that the ottoman is by the window. I noticed that our neighbour was coming towards the end of the street where we live... And looked in whilst carrying their two-year-old child and saw, you know, (laughs) as clear as day, this wooden dildo that was lying on the side. And the look that she gave, not just the dildo, but then me, was priceless. 
So um, Priceless good or priceless judgmental? Oh, definitely judgmental. Ah. I don't think we'll be getting a Christmas card from her this year. Well, but to be fair, it's on her. I'm sorry, but regardless of whether you have your uh, curtains open or whatever, if you look into someone else's house, it's on you what you watch. And it's not the person who lives inside the house fault. Mm. It did make me think for like a split second, maybe we should get net curtains. No, that's the thing. I like the light coming in. (laughs) If it happens to be shining on a dildo, it's my problem, not anyone outside. Okay, well, if anybody does walk past our house, you know, anytime soon, maybe just keep your eyes focused on the pavement ahead and don't look to the left because you might see a dildo or more than likely you'll probably see Ben her naked. Mm, yeah, that is a very distinct possibility. <laughs> I don't like clothes very much. I know, baby, I know. Um, the other sort of sexy thing, um, although I think sexy is probably a bit too strong a word, is the other night we ended up watching uh, a programme on Channel 4, which I suppose for British television, if you're not familiar with the terrestrial channels in the UK, is kind of like the edgy channel, isn't yeah. it? They have, you know, I mean, they were the channel that broadcast Queer as Folk back in the day. They used to broadcast Sex in the City. Um, and they report their news and their reporting is very progressive and forward thinking. They had an amazing day recently where all the programmes were, pre- were presented and fronted by black British people, which was absolutely fantastic. But then they've gone and done this new dating show Mm -hmm. called The Love Triangle. And it's exactly what you're thinking. So it's basically where a couple who are in a, you know, an established relationship come onto this game show and they're looking for a third person to join their relationship. They, they, They want to go from being a couple to a thruple. Yeah, so they're being polyamorous. And to be fair, that first couple... That's the thing with polyamory. On, uh, on thing. You could see that the guy was really into it and really wanted um, someone else in the relationship. The guy, not so much. No, he didn't. He did not. He well, was even, not in the, okay. even in the VT that they did before they came out, he was like, oh, I didn't really think we needed to have a third person in our relationship, but I, I suppose it'd be okay. Like, he was so awkward throughout the whole thing. And he was hot, though. He was hot, yeah. And then basically what they do is it's very much like Blind Date was back in the day. There's like three people behind a screen and they ask them like really dull questions like, where would you take us on holiday? You know, I mean, you're not really getting to know the person. And it's like, oh, I like dogs and I like cats and I like writing poetry. It's all a bit dull. But you say that, but on the first question or the second question, one of, one of the girls behind the screen was talking about she's into BDSM. Oh, yeah, she did, actually, to be fair. She let that one, <laughs> she let that one slip. Very I mean, casually slip. Very prim and proper girl from Tamworth, I think. And she was like, she was like, yeah, yeah, I like painting and I like going for long walks and I'm well into BDSM. So, But, um, I mean, they voted her off straight away, I think. Yeah, I think I, Thrupple, it's a little bit already too much for the guy. Thrupple and BDSM, I think it's it's just way too much for a poor guy. But just the whole programme was like proper cringy. It was um, presented by Desiree Birch, who is a fantastic comedian, but I, I, she was just wasted. Like She's from the US, isn't she? Yeah, yeah, but she was just wasted like because it was very scripted. And then the other kind of co-presenter was Bimini Bombulash, who's obviously an incredible drag queen, runner-up on RuPaul's Drag Race UK Season 2. Yeah. It was just them as a as a voiceover. Yeah. 
Which is kind of like, you've got a drag queen on your show and you just have them as a voiceover. Like, it was proper low budget. And then what happens when they've kind of whittled it down to the last person is they then go into the love triangle and they all have to decide if they want to be in a thruple. And if they all decide yes, then they, you know, they go their happy ways. But if only one of them decides that they don't want to be, then the thruple does not exist. Yeah. And I'm not going to say what happened because I don't, you know, I don't want to get no spoilers on this show. But... In the second half of the programme, they had a, a gay couple on um, and they had a bit more bit more swag about them. They'd had lots and lots of threesomes. And basically one of the guys, when the presenter said, why do you want to be in a thruple? He was perfectly honest and he said, well, it'll make the rent cheaper. I mean, is that the right reason to go into a thruple? I used to work with a guy who was in a thruple, in a, in a gay, there was three guys in a yeah. thruple. And I got mildly obsessed in fact, not even mildly, I got very obsessed with following them on social yeah, and finding out their... what they were doing. And, and it was just crazy things like, you know, even buying a bed and, and going on holiday. And, and I was fascinated by the logistics of being in a thruple because most things, you know, you do the Marks and Spencer's two can dine for £20 meal deal. Well, there isn't a thruple equivalent, is there? Well, there's a two for one. No, it's a three for two. Well, it's either it's either one person doesn't eat or you all eat too much. Do you know what I mean? Because <laughs> if you do buy one, get one free, you'd have to buy two to get two free. It does make the idea of a romantic date out a little bit awkward, doesn't it? Yeah, because one of you is always going to be on the side. Yeah, kind of. So... And within that thruple, two of them were actually legally married. Mm-hmm. But they obviously couldn't marry the third person who entered the relationship at a later yeah. time. And I just imagine that that would get very, very, very complicated. Yeah, I think it's difficult enough to uh, for two people to agree on everything, and, and obviously they don't, and there's quarrels, and there's jealousy. Can you imagine in, in a thruple? And the thing is, it's not for any, everyone, but it works. I, I know a, a guy who's in a thruple, again, a, a gay thruple, and for them it just it works. It really works. And they've been together for probably about six years now. But I mean, for me, it's just that kind of personal space as well. It's like, you know, I love living with you and I love being with you. But there is that thing when you go away for for work for a night or something like that. It's like, well, I'll put a film on that I know that Ben has not going to like or, you know, I can eat some food that you don't particularly like and all that kind of stuff. When you're in a thruple, it's like you're in the whole time because there's always going to be another person around. We would not do well in a studio apartment, would we? (laughs) We would not do well in the studio, but and I quite frankly categorically say that we would not do well in a thruple either. No, definitely not. Well, from thruples, we are throwing back to when we were at university. Yeah, it kind of feels like a very, very lower tone, doesn't it? (laughs) Well, a higher tone. We're talking about higher education. Oh, higher education. Okay, yeah. And to be fair, university studies can be wild as well, so... Absolutely. Oh, God, yeah. How long have you got, Bab? Well, but there's a context to it. So we need to talk about universities themselves. And and to be honest, the differences between sort of higher education in Argentina and in the UK. Yeah, and it's something that we've talked about a lot and argued about a lot, actually, because they are so different. I mean, the end goal is the same. You want to get a good job. So when we talk about university, obviously, for our friends listening across the pond in in the States, we're talking about college, basically. We call it university. Okay. 
So it, for us, it's a whole thing. So it, it's university and that's it. Yeah, it is in the UK. But I think in America, like post-18 education, so education you do as soon as you've left high school, would be college or sixth form in the UK. In America, they call that college. We call it university. But then your postgrad or postgraduate is university in America. Okay, so we're going to talk about the whole process. Yeah. And I think that one of the main differences, and it's very out there, is that universities in Argentina are free. Mm-hmm. You can get free higher uh, education to basically degree level, uh, not postgraduate, but we'll talk about that because our concept of postgraduate is different than yours. You obviously have private universities as well, and you can go to private universities as well, and sometimes you don't have a choice, but for the most part, universities in Argentina are free. But you went to a private university. Yeah, I didn't have a choice. So the career that I studied, environmental engineering, at that time, it didn't exist in a public university. It only existed in a private university. So I had no choice. And what are the fees for a private university? Oh, so probably about the price of your rent. Per month? Per month. Wow. So I suppose that's probably comparable to what it is here in the UK at the minute. I mean, I think it's about £9,000 a year. Yeah, but here is a standard, isn't it? Yeah. Unless you live in Scotland, is it? It's free if you live in Scotland, yeah. Yeah, it's very complicated. I, I mean, know. the whole, you know, we live in the United Kingdom, but England, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland operate differently. Like, if you get ill and you need a prescription, in Wales and Scotland, you don't have to pay for a prescription. But we have to pay, like, it's, what, £10 every time we need medication? Okay. So, it's very complicated. Yeah, so explain to our listeners how fees work. Because it's not like you pay for university you kind of it's kind of like a tax isn't it to some extent so you have your fees which as i say i think at the moment are nine thousand pounds a year when i went to university it was about a thousand pounds and actually only two or three years before i went to university and we're going back some time it was free so it was quite a new thing the fees that's nine thousand pounds a year i think now you can get a loan for the fees When I was at university, I just had a loan for my living expenses because most people who go to the university in this country don't go to a university near where they live. It's kind of like a coming-of-age thing. Like, you're 18, you move away from university, it's the first time you're living away from home. So my loan, I was very fortunate, my parents paid for my fees, and then my loan was just for my living expenses, so my rent, my bills, that kind of thing. But I think you can get a student loan now for the fees, don't you? Yeah, yeah, because of course, who who can afford £9,000 a year? Exactly. exactly. See, I think that in Argentina, it can be as well a coming-of-age thing, because it, uh, it's very related of where you live. So the thing is for me is that I come from a city that is a, a large city with a, a, a lot of universities. It's a very university student city. So for me, it wasn't that coming of age thing I still lived at home with my mum whilst I was um, in uni so I went to class and came back but I didn't have like you have here like the student accommodation the student halls there are some people who do things like that but universities don't offer accommodation so you have to find your own so you can find some houses where you can rent um, a room but is less common most likely if you come from outside of the city your parents will help you and or you will work 
to pay for a flood and normally it's a, pay, a flood that you have with friends so it's similar to what you experienced it's just that I didn't because I was already there mm-hmm. so if university is free in Argentina is there like an entry exam yeah so a lot of them do not all of them but a lot of them have entry exams because basically they need to level people so they need to make sure that everyone is at the same level so a lot of them have entry exams and you even have like pre-courses that you can do to prepare yourself for those entry exams. Mm-hmm. Famously, the one in for medicine is absolutely brutal. And people prepare for months just to sit for that entry exam. So they're preparing for months before going to uni. Yeah, I've heard that in the UK that not necessarily in preparation for doing medicine, but I think when you study medicine, they do all the really tough stuff in the first year because they really want to weed out people who just think, oh, I could be a doctor. It's really easy. And to be fair, in Argentina, it works very much like that. You always have like a subject in uh, in your first year of uni that is kind of like the drainer. So you would always have this subject that is so, so difficult. That is a subject that end up sort of separating the ones who are there because it's free and let's see how it goes and the ones who really want to do it. Because realistically, everyone goes to uni at least once because it's free so when you're feeling, uh, when you're finishing high school, you just decide to what you're going to do. And if you're not sure, you can always change. So you can start and then you can start again the following year, a completely different thing if you didn't like it. But it's a big commitment though, because in Argentina, degrees are five years, aren't they? It depends, but there are anything between um, sort of four to six years, depending on the career. You have like uh, lower degrees that... Um, Basically, would you would be like a technician for something, and those can be three years. But then a bachelor's degree will be at least four years. A degree such as engineering, as the one that I have, is five years. And then there's certain degrees like medicine, for example, that is six years. Yeah. So my bachelor's was three years. I think medicine in this country is five years. Well, and the difference that I found with that, and this is not UK, but Europe in general, is because I did then a master's degree in a, in a Spanish university. And what I found is that all of the things that were there as part of the program for the master's degree, I had already done as part of my degree. So it's basically a degree in Argentina is five years, it's longer, but it's the equivalent to what you would have, would have here as your degree and your master's. Well, couldn't you just ask them to give you the master's there and then? No, I still had to go through the whole thing. It was boring. (laughs) That's annoying. So, popular choices for subjects in Argentina? So, at least in my hometown, and I think this replicates pretty much in every university town, you you have what we call the big four. So, the big four are medicine, Uh law, Uh accountancy, and engineering. Now, engineering is a little bit tricky because you have all of these different engineerings. And the important thing, because you go to this career that is a five-year career, you don't really have a choice of doing sort of like an undergrad and then changing. I studied environmental engineering, and from day one, I was studying environmental engineering, and the whole course was environmental engineering. If I wanted to study any other engineering, I would have to start again. So... uh, the big four are those one, including, again, all of the engineering. However, the one that is probably the largest outside of the big four is psychology. We are 
flooded with psychologists. I have a lot of my friends are psychologists. I have about four or five family members that are, that are psychologists. It's one of the things, to be fair, that I found really strange when I moved to the UK. Whenever I talked in, in the UK about therapy, people were like gasping and said, oh, what's wrong? Mm-hmm. And for us Argentinian doing therapy, it's just part of your weekly routine. It's like on, on Monday you go to the pub, on Tuesday you play football, on Wednesday you go to therapy, on Thursday you get together with your friends. It's just part of your weekly routine. You just have someone to talk to, someone sort of to vent if you need to. And it's a process of self-discovery, self-improvement. You don't need to have an issue to do therapy. I think because it's really expensive in this country and I think people assume that because it's so expensive you have to have something wrong with you to spend the amount of money to go and have therapy and lots of people train as psychologists here psychology is in the top 10 most popular degrees but usually people use their psychology degree to go into other areas like human resources for example yeah and I I think the difference as well is that it's different here and probably universities like that most psychologies that I've heard about here they're all either CBT or Gestalt they're all more things that are meant to fix something whereas most psychologists in Argentina tend to be either Freudian or Lacanian or, 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 um, or whatever but it tends to be more of a psychoanalysis school rather than a treatment Mm. of an illness if you like Mm -hmm. it's really interesting because if you think about it the nhs which is uh, really good here in the uk the fact that it's free they don't want to treat you for life so they wouldn't give you psychotherapy they would give you something that gives you i don't know 10 sessions sorted the issue Mm -hmm. and Mm then someone someone else come in so i think it's really interesting how that difference in that career particularly is based on how our medical systems work there is that thing where you've always said that in the uk we're very good at like emergency care but that kind of constant well-being preventive preventative medicine is somewhat lacking here and i think it's vice versa isn't it in argentina you're very good at preventative medication but the a and e side of things is is not great yeah yeah and, and, and actually, interestingly, on that, the most popular, well, in terms of applications received, the most popular course in the UK is nursing. Is it? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Followed by psychology and then law. Mm, but that's, that. that's in terms of applications received, because obviously there's not enough places for everybody. Mm-hmm. And, and in the UK, you know, you have to apply. I think you apply for six universities. You have your first choice, a reserve choice. And yeah, it goes on what results you get in your A-levels mm-hmm. or, or, or the equivalent uh, exam when you're 18 and you need to have so many grades they're converted into points it's all done through this centralized system called UCAS and then yeah you go to the school well when I when I got my A-level results I went down to the school and you basically open an envelope and see mm. what you've got and then you know whether you've got into university or not and then the university would write to you now I think it's all done online it sounds nerve-wracking absolutely terrifying absolutely terrifying because you literally go down to school and you're there with all your friends and you're just literally about to find out where your life's going to go next. It's terrifying. But luckily, I got... Um, your, first, your first choice. I got my, Well, I got my first choice and I got the results that I wanted. So I was really, really happy. And I ended up going to the University of Birmingham. And I studied history, medieval and modern. But as we know, 
history doesn't get exciting until the steam engine's invented. So I did as little medieval as possible. Yeah, I'm asleep already. (laughs) Fantastic campus, though, the University of Birmingham. Tallest freestanding clock tower in the world and the only university campus in the UK that has its own train station. But let's be honest, when you're 18 and you're going to uni, do you really care about the highest clock tower? (laughs) Or do you care about the student experience? Oh, the student experience is incredible. I mean, it was a bit nerve-wracking for me because my parents dropped me off at university and I was living in halls. So they're basically like the flats that you live in in the first year. And you don't know who you're going to be living with. Um, I think now they have like Facebook groups and you can get to know people through WhatsApp beforehand. But literally, I didn't know I was going to move in a flat with. And there was an administrative error when I moved to university in the sense that they told me to move a day earlier than everybody else. So my parents dropped me off. My parents were like, your new housemates will be arriving soon. We've got to get back for your brother. We'll see you later. So I unpacked my toasty machine and had a little cheese and ham toasty. And I was like, well, no one else is coming. And I was like, oh, really sad. Um, And then somebody did actually move in. They'd been told to move in the wrong day as well. But he was like literally with his whole family that moved in with him. And they kind of bundled into his room and they didn't come out for a couple of hours. And I was like, oh, is this going to be? But then, of course, you know, we ended up going for a drink. We met some other people. And then the next day, everybody moved in. And it was literally for then, for about three weeks, it was just party. Because they have what's called as freshers week here, but it's actually two, three weeks. If you're a fresher, that means it's your first year of university. And do you have like three weeks off just to get to know your roommates and get wasted? No, no, no. You still have your lectures and stuff like that. And you have all your kind of orientation from the education side of university. But then it's all the stuff that happens out afterwards. So you literally go to all these different kind of fairs really and you find about all the groups that you can join at university so whether you want to join a political group whether you want to join a sports group I got involved with student radio and then you find out all about that then all the local nightclubs restaurants brands will come down and they'll promote their products to students and you'll get loads of freebie I remember like literally walking around the tent like 20 times so I could basically get a full pizza because they were giving out slices every time you went so I just kept doing like a loop around the room and then you wonder why we're fat and then yeah literally all the nightclubs organize nights and there's literally something happening every night Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday not so much on Friday and Saturday you kind of give the town back to the locals then um, and you just chill out maybe go to the cinema and stuff like that and just you know it's a real coming of age thing and apart from when you start a new job it's kind of the, the the only time in your life as an adult really where you get to meet so many people and you know we've talked about it on the podcast before but my best friends, you know, apart from a couple of people from school, it's literally where I made the people who I know will be my best friends for life. And it's just incredible. And you share so many experiences. I mean, you know, having to wash and cook for the first time, although I wasn't allowed to leave home until I'd made a roast dinner, I have to say that. Um, Your mum was very strict with that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's a skill that has set me up for life. And And you don't complain when I make a roast dinner. I I don't complain when you make Yorkshire puddings. (laughs) And then, yeah, so after the first year of university, then what a lot of people do is then they will rent privately. And we, there were six of us, and we found a house relatively close to the university. And we rented that. And it was just, again party house for the next three years I mean the stuff we got up to in there and we lived in a residential area so we would keep our neighbours awake I mean we used to get people knocking on the door at like five in the morning and like with a hose pipe and wetting us because we kept them awake all night and stuff like that I mean it was so bad it was so bad and you just cringe now when you think about it but I mean from the stories you were the worst people ever 
<laughs> yeah, we did get through a few housemates. There was kind of a, a core group of us. There was four of us who were really tight knit, and we still are now. But it wasn't. We didn't. Yeah, no, there was no. various. Yes, reasons. you were. All the things that no, but we went, but we went. Yes, you were. You were a fucking nightmare. I think we just liked to live life to the full, and we liked to bring back people to enjoy life to the full with us. I mean, the thought of doing that now, like going out to a club and bringing people back and being like, yeah, it's absolutely fine. I would, wouldn't want to do that now. So it was just absolutely incredible. So I think that the main difference is that universities in Argentina are literally sort of buildings with classrooms and labs and, and whatever you need to. But I think that the whole university experience here, it seems like it's very sort of campus oriented so something that you can get accommodation provided by the university you have the campus you have cafes everything in Argentina you go to class then you go away so yours your whole student experience is more the city that you're in which luckily for me was my hometown so I knew it really well but for a lot of people that were from other towns all around the country again that same experience they had it in the whole city and but I think the difference in the UK is that when you're in your first year and you're in the halls that are owned by the university, you don't have to worry about things like paying your TV license or paying your gas and electricity bill because the university does that. So it's kind of like it's kind of like an old folks home, but kind of at the start of your life, really. And you're kind of cushioned into the real world. Yeah, you have to do your washing and that kind of stuff, but the big stuff you don't have to worry about. So it's kind of it kind of eases you into like yeah. real life. In Argentina, then uh, you kind of do the whole thing because normally, again, as I said earlier, your parents will get a flat or with, or you get a, f- a flat with flatmates and so on, uh, but you'll have to do everything and also you have to divide the expenses of, uh, and so on and so on. But then the town has its own way of accommodating. So, for example, normally university nights on, in bars and nightclubs are Thursday nights. I've always been Thursday night. So Thursday night is like the university night. It's the new Friday. Exactly. And then the the other one was Sunday. Sunday nights. Because of course a lot of people who went from the town would go back to their hometowns for the weekend. Sunday's a day of rest, Bab. Yeah, but when you're 18, you get over of the hangover, sleeping three hours. Not like we are now. <laughs> three days later. Yeah, exactly. And again, I think that probably uh, a lot of the people who I can say are some of my best friends in life are from university. You do get that same sort of bonding experience and you get drunk together, you go out together. So you still have that social aspect of it. It's just that you don't have it in university grounds, Mm. if it makes sense. Mm. Mm. But the way that your time at universities is structured very differently because you did most of your studying in the evening didn't you yeah so i'm going to university for the most part is a full-time thing so i had classes from half five in the afternoon to half 11 at night and that was monday to friday and then i had classes as well on saturdays from eight in the morning until half 12 jeez louise so it was very intensive you and you had classes with probably 10 minutes break between each class and that was it so you had classes all way long, all week long. Now, given there are universities, of course, that had classes in the morning, in the afternoon, and at night, because basically, you most people work whilst you are studying in university. Most people cannot afford to not work. So you do work. So you need to uh, arrange your classes around your work pattern. So you will have people that will go to some classes in the morning, 
to some classes in the afternoon just because of the different days and how they can accommodate. But you have that freedom to do that in Argentine universities. Mine was a little bit more prescriptive and it was only at night. So it was half five to half eleven uh, at night, Monday to Friday. But then on Friday, after uh, after we went out at half eleven, we would go out uh, with the friends in uni and then basically just rock up at eight in the morning, throw all of the empty bottles in the bin outside of the university and go in just without slipping, piss drunk oh my into our Saturday class. And I remember in the first year we had physics. So can you imagine eight in the morning? Well, physics is hard enough, but physics with a hangover or slash well, still inebriated, still drunk, yeah, sounds like my worst nightmare. But the thing is, again, at that <laughs> age, we did it and we had a blast. <laughs> yeah, you see, my my time at university was somewhat more different. I mean, in my last year of uni, my third year, I think I had one hour contact time. Yeah, see, we've had this conversation and I absolutely hate you. <laughs> so I, in the meantime, I had about four jobs. I ran the student radio station. Yeah, I was getting involved in so many different things. It was... In, it, it, the, I have to say, though, we because, because I did an arts degree, it was like, yeah, it's kind of not enough credits because you have to get so many credits to, to pass your degree. So in my first year uh, and my second year, I had to do something called a module outside the main discipline. And this was really exciting because it was basically like I could pick a subject completely different from history and and really focus on that. And I really wanted to do creative writing because I love writing. Um, but that course was filled up. I think I was hung over the morning that because basically it was another fair that you had to go to and sign up. And I don't know if I missed the deadline window or I you know, I just didn't make it because it was oversubscribed. So I remember going to this hall uh, and that all these different subjects were all represented there. And this guy said to me, he was like, um, he called me over and he said, um, do you like dinosaurs? And I was like, uh, yeah. Nerd. Do you like earthquakes? I was like, uh, yeah. Nerd. And he was like, do you like volcanoes? And I was like, give me some magma. Yeah. Super nerd. So of course I signed up to do geology. As my module outside the main discipline. Oh, that must have proven to be not what you expected. It was nine o'clock on a Thursday morning and it was the most dullest thing I've ever done in my life. Literally, we looked at pictures of rocks and it was like, this is a sedimentary one. This is a igneous. This is a metamorphic. I was just like, like literally the dullest thing ever. In fact, it was so dull that the night before my exam at the end of the first year... I took my brother to a gig in Manchester and it was the first time that my brother had been to Manchester's gay village and we had a night on Canal Street in Manchester and we had such a great time and then I had the exam the next day and of course I mean I would have failed it anyway but I catastrophic it was multiple choice and I still catastrophically failed to the exam but luckily because it was in my first year the credits don't count to your final degree however they do from the second year so I thought second year I need to be a little bit more savvy savvy and I signed up and did film studies and you know what it was one of the best things I did at university we got to make a documentary as part of our assessment and I made a film about a cafe in the Sally Oak area of Birmingham mm-hmm. where I was living. It was called the Knife and Fork Cafe. It was falling to pieces. It was an old coal store that was literally hanging over the canal in Sally Oak. And the people in there were incredible. It was almost like the kind of people that you meet in a really kind of oldie-worldie pub. But for whatever reason, they hadn't gravitated towards a pub. They decided that they were going to spend their time in this cafe. Maybe they didn't drink alcohol. Maybe. I think, I don't know if I asked them in that in the thing. I don't know. 
but it was a proper greasy spoon mm-hmm. cafe and it was run by a uh, husband and wife and their son worked there as well and he used to do i mean this was before uber eats and all that kind of stuff and he used to like do all the deliveries in sully oak and so i followed him and filmed him and he used to deliver to all the brothels because there was quite a few brothels mm-hmm. okay. around sully oak where the university is in fact birmingham they say that there's 365 brothels so one for every day of the year oh that's nice the owners were obsessed with lamps, but not lampshades, just the bottom of the lamp. So the whole cafe was just full of lamps, but no lampshades. Like naked lamps. Naked lamps, yeah. yeah. Which always used to make me laugh because if any of the lamps went on, the co-owner, she had massive hair like Marge Simpson, but it was so kind of fair and thin. You could literally shine a light through it. That's how, <laughs> you know, so, it, you know, she had all these lamps. There was a guy who used to go in there called Skiddy, because he shot himself once, so he had skid marks. I mean, the obvious nickname then. There was another guy called Fingers. Why? What did he do with his fingers? <laughs> well, he'd lost a finger in a okay. fight or something. And they were just amazing. And these people literally let me into their world. And it was just an incredible, really special time. And, you know, I really felt part of their community. And obviously I kept going back, you know, after, the, after I'd made the documentary. And it was something that I was really, really proud of. So, yeah, for me, that was the thing, you know... The history degree was great and I loved it. I got to do my dissertation about my favourite train, which was brilliant, the advanced mm-hmm. passenger train, shout out. But yeah, for me, it was the kind of the extra stuff that I got to do on the side. See, for us, universities don't cater for that. You don't get optionals. It's very to the point. It's come in, study your, uh, your subjects, go, that's it. And of course, you had classes and then you had to do all of your project works. You have to study. So it was a, a lot of time dedication that you needed to it so you really didn't even have time for like optional extras okay so maybe you didn't have time to do all the kind of stuff around the fringes of of what you're there to do and which is you know get a degree but you must have had some memorable professors oh if i tell you about memory so as you know as i mentioned i had physics at eight o'clock in the morning so our professor uh, our physics professor god rest his soul used to come in eight in the morning and everyone is sitting there but everyone's drunk everyone's hangover we're talking about sunglasses being worn inside of the classroom (laughs) or looking like you're in a tarantino film yeah exactly and this guy would come into the classroom say good morning then sit on the desk on the front desk and then open his briefcase have his coffee and a croissant eat his croissant and have his coffee in silence in front of the class waiting for him to start the lecture. And after that, he would close his briefcase and start the lecture. So you had to sit there and watch him eat his breakfast? Yeah. Before the lecture started? Oh, yeah. yeah. And the thing is, this professor was famous for his unintended quotes. So he was the kind of physics professor that, for example, if... if if we're talking about, for example, measurements, if we're talking about uh, about measuring anything, and he wouldn't have a ruler at that time uh, with him for whatever, so we, he would grab the eraser, put the eraser one, eraser two, eraser three, and then look at it and say, hmm, this is 34.3 centimetres. Out of nothing. He would just make it up. But literally, he was just making it up. And then I remember, for example, when uh, one of my one of my friends, um, one of the girls in class, at some point, 
just was like really frustrated and said, Professor, I just don't understand. He just turned around and said, Haha, it happens. And then he just turned around and continued. <laughs> like, literally, did not give a shit. Did she pass at least? Eventually. But you wouldn't get a, a very good mark with him. So our marking system is basically from 1 to 10. Okay. But according to this professor, a very devout Christian, 10 was for God, because God was the only one who was perfect. Mm-hmm. 9 was for the professor. And eight was for the student that had everything right. So basically, in his class, you would never get anything. The the most perfect exam that you could give, and you would get an eight. And that was it. Did you ever get an eight? No, I got barely pass. So yeah. what do you need to get for a pass? It depends on the universities. In some universities, it's four. Yeah. But the four is like a 60% of the exam. It's weird how it works. So I think I got a five. Yeah, I think 40% was a pass. Yeah, but for us, it's four the mark, but the four is not 40%. The four represents 60%. What? It's a weird weird thing. So the grades go from one to ten. The pass mark is four, but actually, to get to a four, you need to get at least 60% right. This is hurting my head. I don't know if this is my hangover or the fact that... It works. We don't really understand maths. We Argentinians understand it. It works. Okay. All right. I trust you. (laughs) The funny thing about exams as well in Argentina is that most of them, or a lot of them, have at least a part that is an oral exam. So even physics, you would have a written part where you do your exercises and so on, and then basically you go in front um, of the professor and then do the oral bit, where your theory test, if you like, or your explanation test, where you would be standing in front of the blackboard or the whiteboard and just basically working there orally in front of the professor, the tribunal. uh, Well, you do love a bit of oral, Bab. I imagine I that came really natural to you. I do love a bit of oral. Um, you see, all our all our exams, well, for my degree history, they were all written. And my, I remember my arm was killing me at the end of them because you'd be literally writing for like three hours. It was like, oh, it would literally have my wrist. I felt like it was going to fall off by the end of the exam. No, for us, a lot of them are oral exams, which, again, the problem is, particularly in public universities where you have a lot of students, is that literally you would get there at 8 in the morning for an exam, and basically they start going through people, but probably they can have 300, 400 people sitting for exams. Wow. So, realistically, they you might be there the whole day and not sit your exam because they haven't got to you yet. Well, at least you get more time to revise that. Well, yeah, but you've been there all day. And also, exams, um, at least in public universities, they're all open. So anyone can go in and sit and listen to you giving your exam. And it's very common that we do, because realistically, if you have to sit an exam, you want to see what the exam is like. So you get that opportunity where you get to go and see other people sitting their exams. So if you get nervous speaking in public, then tough luck. Well, I would hate it if you walked in. I'd be like, "Uh, no, you're going to make me laugh. Well, no, the thing is, I'm people who go and uh, witness exams, they just stay quiet in the classroom. I think they it's a bit voyeuristic, actually. Well, that's a little bit of it. Although I did take somebody on a date once to a courthouse and we watched a murder trial. Mm, sounds like a fun date. I mean, it was a gripping trial, but obviously the relationship didn't last. I can imagine why. But then going back to professors, the stories don't end there. 
I had another professor. So uh, picture this. I went in into my first day. My first class is maths one. With your new pencil case. With... Um, and a, your protractor. With... A new compass. With a pen. Obviously. And a pencil. Uh, not at that point. Rubber? No, not at that point. Ruler? No, at that point it was just a pen. Tipex? No. Oh. It was the first day. But the thing is, my university, um, it had the opportunity to do a levelling course before that. So, I'm, And it was particularly focused on maths. Because I had done well in maths before, I, I didn't have to do it, so I didn't do it. So I go All in. All right, no one loves a show-off. So I go in, first day, and the guy sitting next to me shares with me his, um, basically was a photocopy of of the workbook that they had started during that uh, leveling course. And they were talking about uh, some Venn diagrams uh, at that stage. So I look at the paper that had just been shared, and I look down the Venn diagram has in one of them, like, you know, the intersecting Venn diagrams, in one of them you have Winnie the Pooh, Tinkerbell, and Io, and in the other one, you have Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, and uh, Minnie Mouse. And I'm going to read this and start looking around, like saying, what the fuck? It happened that my maths professor was a huge Disney fan. Oh, that's nice. It was a little bit creepy. No, I think it's quite cute. He used to tell us about how he had decorated his bedroom, which included like a like a hollow log, and he would like um, stick all of the figurines and use like glitter, um, like glitter glue to do like the trail of the um, the trail of the uh, of the gnomes or whatever characters he was sticking there. Okay, that is creepy. Yeah, it was a little bit creepy. He literally, his bedroom of a 40-something-year-old professor was literally a children's bedroom. Mm. There were issues there. I remember... Issues? I think there's red flags. I know. I remember once uh, he had this dream where he wanted to teach maths with fairy tales. So uh, at one point we went through a fairy tale that was called um, The Little Red Vector... And the ferocious matrix. <laughs> it sounds gripping. So basically, he did a whole lesson using uh, of teaching vectors and, and matrices using fairy tales. But did it work? I can't really remember a lot of that. To be fair, he was a good professor in terms that he would explain to you um, as many times as you needed. He tended as well to have, if you di- if you needed, he would actually take you to a bar after class with a number of students and just go through it again. He was very demanding, but he was very good in uh, in that respect. I'm surprised but, he didn't want to take you to the Disney store. <laughs> but my whole maths one, maths two, maths three, they were all Disney based. <laughs> Did you have a favourite professor? Yeah, myself. Oh, jeez. Yeah, you forget that one. Once upon a time, back in Argentina, I used to be a university professor. I would hate to be taught by you. I was a university professor for 11 years. I bet you were a nightmare. I bet you were so strict. Um, I was a divisive professor. So you were like the Marmite of the teaching world? Yeah, there were people who absolutely hated me and there were people who loved me. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, hated you even more. <laughs> um, okay, well, yeah, I'm pro- 
Probably, yes. No, to, to be fair, I imagine you being quite thorough, but I think you'd be quite demanding of results. Yes. And I, so basically what I used to tell my students is that the purpose of my classes, when not for them to repeat the book, was for them to think. And in my class, because I taught in the third year, I, I taught environmental um, sampling and analysis. Blurring. Um And basically it's about pollutants and how you sample them and how you analyse them in a lab. Um, well, actually, that sounds quite interesting. But you need to understand physics, you need to understand chemistry, you need to understand a lot of other subjects that you have in university. Whereas in my university, it happened that they were like very siloed. Children didn't really understood. Children. That, I know, children. <laughs> they were probably the same age as you, nearly. Well, to be fair, I did start teaching. So I started teaching in the, th- uh, like, assistant teaching in the third year of uni when I was doing the fourth. Oh, you're such a keno. I know. Um, <laughs> I love how you own that. Well, yeah, what can I like say? You were, you were taking the mick out of me saying geek, geek, geek. You are like super geek with a capital S, capital G. Well, yeah, in a topic that I like, I am. <laughs> but the thing is, what I, what I used to do is I used to tell the kids, okay, you have this industry, you tell me what is it that you would sample? So do like an, an energy and mass balance and tell me what would you sample from what you know from that industry. So our classes, we would go through the industry. At one point, a few years later, I had as a student, a girl that used to be a student alongside with me. She just had to drop out for a few years because she couldn't do work, her work and study at the same time. And then she came back, so she was one of my students as well. So she was a little bit like my spy. And she's the one that that used to tell me that student, basically, uh, the consensus was that students loved my classes, hated my exams. They thought that my exams were so demanding. And to be fair, my exams, I just did exactly the same as in, uh, as in class. And say, okay, this is your industry. Tell me what you would sample. And realistically, as I always told students before the, the exam, if it's not quite right, it doesn't matter as long as the reasoning is right. So if, you got, if you're in the right train of thoughts, whether you would um, sample one pollutant or, the, or this one other, I didn't really care. If it made sense, it made sense. But yeah, it, it was on the third year, one of the, uh, probably about an average of, Four people would pass every sitting. And how many students did you have? Normally we would have about 30 <gasps> 30 per year. You are brutal. Well, you did have you did have one, two, three. You 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 had at least four different um exams in one year. So in Argentina the way you work is that you go to class and then you have up to three years to sit for that for the exam on on that class. The difference that it makes is that you need to have it approved to do certain other subject. So in order to do a subject, you need to have a previous knowledge. So until you approve and you pass certain subjects, you cannot do another one. But you can take up to three years without having to reseat for the whole course again, for the whole class again. So people will, I understand, I studied, I had five years of classes and it took me an extra year to finish all of my exams. And funny enough, whilst I was working here in the UK in London, I went to audit a client and said, you know, I know this name. 
I've heard this name before. So actually, many, many years after I, I, I was not teaching anymore and I was already moved all the way across from Argentina to the UK, I ended up auditing one of my former students. And what did she say? To be fair, she claimed to be that she was the one of the ones who left me. But then again, I was auditing her, so I, it, it kind of sounds like uh, something that you that you would say. But realistically, she did confirm what I already knew, really, in that respect, is that a lot of people hated me, a lot of people loved me. My ethos was always the book you can read. Part of my job as a professor is not just for you to know the subject, but to prepare you for the real working world. Oh, you know what my ethos is. Don't bother with the book, just watch the film. Mm, exactly, in your one hour week contact. Well, we've managed to survive that. I thought we were going to have a bit of a debate at one point, but we managed to get through it without tearing each other's hair out. To be honest, I thought you were going to say that, oh, well, that was educational. Oh, God. It would have fitted. <sighs> Do we have to with the dad jokes? I'm still really hungover. Like my brain, you know, it's hard enough doing this podcast and then you do these stupid jokes. It would be easier if you applied yourself. <laughs> oh God. And now you pretend, now you're going into professor mode. I like, know. please. <laughs> Honestly, I would literally hate being taught by you. I'd just be Probably. like, oh, you're so anal. And not in a good way. Um, <laughs> if you were one of my students and either hated me or loved me, or if you just want to get in touch and let us know about your university experience and how university works in your own country as well, do get in touch. Yeah, we are on Twitter at BarebackPod. We are on Instagram at BarebackPodcast. We are on Facebook, just search us, Bareback. Or you can send us an email at BarebackPodcast at gmail.com. Lovely stuff. Right, I'm going to have Study. a light. I'm not going to study. I'm going to lie down in a really dark place because I'm seriously hungover still. Mm, and study? No, I'll, then I'll probably have some food. Mm, and I'm going to judge you. <laughs> Stop being a professor. You're not a professor anymore. <laughs> yeah, I'll grade you. Oh, God. You do that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that was an A-star performance, Ben. Well done. I've never got that. I wish I had. Oh, come on. <laughs> right, I'm going to go now before we yeah. go really obtuse. Bye. Bye.